Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, welcome in. It is the best time of the week. To talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabe Millerson here with Chris Goff. And boy, oh boy, we got an action-packed show today, Chris. But first and foremost, how was your Independence Day? Uh, it was pretty uneventful, which is good. We had a party. No one got hurt. I've had like a track record in the last few years where uh, people have been injured by fireworks. Uh out of stupid reasons, which is always the case, of course. I don't know if you like most of the time they go off correctly if like you don't try to throw them or something, right? But uh a couple years ago we had a traumatic experience where one of my friends, uh, he may have had a few glasses of bourbon at the time, and we were like shooting him in front of uh, family and friends, and he we had uh, one of the boxes that the bigger ones, you know, and it says point this side towards the crowd. And so what that means is that side faces the crowd while they shoots up. But my friend lit it and then pointed it down at the crowd. Like they put the side that was supposed to be facing the crowd on the ground. Like he inverted it like that. And it shot straight into our family and friends, which at that point, like half of them like got in their cars and sped out of there. Cause it was like a huge disastrous scene and uh, it was sort of traumatic. So anything outside of that has been good. And so we didn't have that this year. So it was great. How was yours? How was yours, Gabe? What's wrong? Is, did you, have I, you I, had a situation like that? <laughs> no. Um, well, oh, you got to okay. think. Uh, <laughs> so where I come from in California, everything's outlawed, right? Guns, um, you know, fireworks. really, unless you were going to go down to Mexico, fireworks were illegal everywhere because you could sneeze out of your car and the state of California just lights on fire most of the time. Right. You're like, at you. Yeah. There goes, there sure, goes, sure. there goes Hollywood and Beverly Hills, which, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so no, I have never, you know, ever since I've lived here in the Midwest, the one thing I cannot stand, I cannot stand and you don't you probably don't get this in belton i hate the shooting the guns in the air crap i hate it like <laughs> like why would you first of all why would you think we wouldn't get that in belton i don't understand well i i feel like country. it's well but i feel like it's more like we're gonna shoot this into a target and it's not like guys with oh. AK-47s just like... Well, in an urban area, that's pretty stupid. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, And I will never understand for the... First of all, ammo is expensive. Why would you shoot it mm -hmm. in the air? Go buy some fireworks. They're available literally everywhere. Go buy some fireworks. I just... I, I don't understand. Fourth of July, New Year's, and every Chiefs like big game win is just like we play a game is it gunshots or fireworks and i live kind of out in the country and it still is like it's world war three out here and i get it like shoot your fireworks have your fun but man it goes until four o'clock in the morning sometimes will fireworks be outlawed in america during our lifetime no 
Okay. Nope. I, I think like it seems like it would go more and more that way to me. Uh, I don't know. I see more and more because of the online complaining, which basically like the world is sort of geared uh, from by social media standards, you know, as it is now, like whatever you bitch about on social media is where the world goes. So uh, I feel like more and more people bitch about that. In fact, that like you were talking about, like, yeah, do you have a dog? Yep. This, so does give- your dog go crazy about the fireworks? Doesn't care. No. Hasn't cared one okay, bit ever, okay. even living in the middle of the city. My dog does not care. Okay. Well, I get a lot of, I'm on a lot of the rants and raves boards of all the cities around me, you know, cause I want to <laughs> see what everybody's saying about stuff. You know, who's got the, Hey, lost dog over here. You know, whatever. I got some furniture for free out on the corner, you know, crap like that's posted. But a lot of times, like several weeks leading up to 4th of July, it's always like, uh, Hey, uh, I can't wait till, you know, my dog has to, we're going out of town for my dog's sake and a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I mean, it sucks for the dog. I understand, but man, fireworks have been around forever. So when did this become a bigger deal? It seems like, I don't know. It's a, it's a bigger deal now than it used to be. So uh, I see that a lot. And then of course I'm always, I laugh because the responses are like, uh, my favorite meme in response to that is these people post it and they're like, Hey, you guys be quiet in the morning. Cause some of us have been up all night shooting fireworks. <laughs> you know what I'm like? So I oh, love that meme. Uh, yeah. Like the real smart ass memes are always funny, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you, you don't really purchase fireworks. You just don't really care if they get shot off as long as it's not four in the morning. I, well, you know, I did last year, I purchased a, a metric butt ton, but there's a reason for that. And it's because daddy had money last year. This year, oh, da- I see. daddy doesn't have any expendable income. So that's why we didn't get fireworks it's, this year. But it's expensive. It is, it is very expensive. And I think also because of my daughter, she goes to bed at like 730. And so she's not old <laughs> enough to really appreciate it yet. And once she gets course, old enough, I think, I, I think we'll shoot off some more. But yeah, pretty uneventful, Um, you know just barbecued a little bit, had a good time. And now here we are in the, in the aftermath and the afterglow of 4th of July and boy, Oh boy, do we have a ton of wrestling stuff to talk about? But before we we get to that later on in the episode, we are going to have a special, uh, like, uh, you know, the, the, the body of the episode usually has a topic and this week's topic is actually Darren Drozdoff. So you're going to dive in to your relationship and your, um, your feelings about Darren Drozdoff seeing has he recently mm-hmm. passed away? Yeah, we'll talk about that later, but Darren Drozdoff was, uh, he was one of the first people I met when I went up to WWF. Uh, I was, you know, just had turned 19 years old, um, I went up there and he was training with Dr. Tom at the time and we'll get into all that, but he, uh, he was in and out of my life for the next like six, seven years, maybe a little bit longer than that. And, uh, to see him go from what he was an NFL caliber player to wrestler, to, you know, handicapped to positive attitude. It was, uh, it was an awesome, um, (laughs) Uh, you know, it's, sometimes you hear the saying, like, it happened to that person because they could handle it, you know, and he was that kind of guy. That's he was the kind of guy that could have handled the horrific thing that happened to him because a lot of other people would have uh, just been miserable and, and negative and horrible the rest of their life. And he at least outwardly didn't show that side. So um, but we will talk about him because he just passed away at the age of 54. And when wow. that happened, it was um, it was it was sort of like. 
in some ways, I mean, it's horrible, but in some ways, I, you know, I know that he was miserable, really. It had to, it had to have been a horrific right. life he led for the last right. 25 years of his life, uh, right. especially from being such an active guy to what he ended up having to deal with the rest of his life. So anyway, we will get into that later, but he was, uh, he was an awesome dude in the world of wrestling. He was. Wow. I can't wait to hear that. And just coming over the newswire, Chris, as you were talking, another superstar has passed away. So let me get your thoughts on this. Former WWE superstar Mantar has passed away at the age of 55. Seriously? Real name, yes, real name Michael Leck died in his sleep last wow. night at the age of 55. Well, um, <laughs> of course, Mantar has become a uh, a punch punchline for many things now uh cornet talks about him a lot because he managed him for for very briefly and uh what was funny is when i first it's sort of going back to <clears throat> so this is called the worst territory in the world because it has to deal with kansas city and because i'm from kansas city and i went to wwf it is somehow there modus tollens it is connected to kansas city but uh so i went up as an intern and i was working at the wwf television studio and at the time that is where i mean i'd love to see what it is now because at the time that is where the ring was where we will talk about where darren draws off and many other people i saw training in there every day in this dingy like basically uh like a truck loading dock area where the where the ring was next to the mail room and then uh then they had the WWE library in there that I would go in and they had these uh, mechanical shelves that at the time were so cool because you'd hit a button and they would open up to this section and there was one inch reels and three quarter inch and, you know, stuff from, and that's where I would just dig up. And that's where I first found the uh, episodes of the Bobby Heenan show, which I thought were awesome. And I dubbed them off on VHS because I <laughs> nice. was like, these are like the Holy grail, but I didn't know that the WWE network would then throw them up online years later. But uh, then uh, what also they had there was the sort of a storage facility area uh, where they kept a lot of like props. And it was stuff that they probably used when they were taping primetime and superstars and all American and all that stuff in the studios. And one of the huge props there was Mantar's head, which huh. was huge. It was like, yeah, it was like sitting on the ground. It was probably three, three, three and a half feet high. And it was, if you recall, it was the big, brown furry thing looks sort of like a, a beast some kind of a bearish type beast looking thing and uh he would put it on as he walked to the ring and i think that like Cornette has said uh he basically figured out pretty quickly that you can't walk to the ring with that on and then get through the ropes because it's impossible and the guy portraying it um was not a he was like a short stout guy too so it wasn't the easiest thing to get in the ring with this thing on but uh anyway i that's i, I recalled that big time like wow that's mantar's mask <laughs> so when i came back to the midwest uh i don't know if you were around for any of this gabe but he lived in iowa and nebraska and he would wrestle on shows it was either 3xw or magnum pro or one of those he would show up on cards up there pxp one of those uh, and it was, uh, it was their Des Moines or Nebraska area. And he was living up there and like, it was sort of like a punchline, but also sort of like, Oh, he's a former WWE superstar lives in the area. Right. Why not? You know, Perry right. Saturn, Perry Saturn once lived in this area and he, he worked, uh, several, several shows on three XW cards up in Des Moines and stuff like that. So, I mean, look, not a lot to choose from around here. As far as guys that used to be somewhat known in WWE that living around here. So, I know he was on cards and he got into some <laughs> online squabbles with a lot of the worker guys in the Midwest. 
because I think he took himself pretty seriously and other guys were just using him as a, as a joke, but that's too bad to hear that he passed away. I, hadn't, I guess that literally just happened. Yeah, literally three hours ago coming over the Newswire. Another, uh, so, you know, kind of parlaying that into another news item is AEW Collision. We tend to talk about AEW a lot on here because we know people that are very close to the AEW situation as a whole. But what I wanted to talk about this week was the collision ratings. Now, Chris, uh, fortunately, I have the collision ratings uh, that came in from this last week, which was headlined by Samoa Joe. Uh, taking on CM Punk, a kind of a renewing of their uh, rivalry um, from uh, years and years ago. I don't know if you ever watched any of those classic matches from Ring of Honor, but man, those were some I've really... Seen, I've definitely seen them. Definitely. Really long matches, but definitely really good. So AEW drew 580,000 viewers, uh, up 28% from week three, um, up 62% in the... Um, the key demo from the week prior and ranked number five on cable. So as we know, the, the um, from the opening episode of collision, things have been kind of on a downward trajectory ever since then. And of course, because of that, a lot of people are like, see, see a punk, you know, that kind of stuff. And so where do you think, the blame lies or if there is any blame in these declining ratings. And do you think that this show on a Saturday night will find its market? Ah, man, that's, that's some good questions. Um, you know, first of all, like the, the AEW product in, in general before CM Punk came back is, has been sort of an, uh, either plateaued, stagnant decline, whatever way you want to put it. Um, you know, they gone are the days where they were hitting a million, Gone are the days where they regularly hit 900,000. They're hitting in the 800s, you know, which is, it uh, seems to be about where they land usually 800 plus, you know, each week. Um, I don't know. That's, you know, the ratings now are so difficult to compare to anything. I know a lot of stuff is watched online. A lot of stuff is watched later. I don't know how much of that is recorded. You know, I'm, it's, uh, you know, we, I joke because it's, all the time you see like, well, if, if only we had the TNA numbers, you know, that everyone ripped on Russo for having, I'm like, yeah, it's all relative, dude. It's relatively speaking. It's not like WWE is hitting fours and fives anymore. They're hitting like twos. Okay. So, uh, so it's sort of hard to just b bag on them just out of that. But as far as the CM Punk stuff, like, you know, they really missed you can blame punk. You can blame AEW. I, you can blame the elites, whoever you want to blame. I, I, they missed the boat on the CM Punk stuff. Like they did not capitalize on the backstage stuff the way I think they could have at least tried to keep that going. Uh, he's coming back. I've, I've known this about wrestling and any other part of my business. Diminishing returns when you have a return of a guy a year after he came back after seven years, you know, or whatever. It's like huge number when Punk first comes back and he has the crowd and everything's acting like the return of the savior is in every arena. And then, you know, then all the stuff happens with him and what went down there. And then, then he's basically off TV and they don't talk about him for a very long time. And then he comes back and it's obviously not going to be as big as it was before. And, um, I just thought, you know, as we've discussed before, like, why didn't they keep CM Punk in some kind of 
role if they're still especially if you're gonna pay him you know that's what always bothers me it's like as a promoter boy and like i hated having surprise guests at metro pro or nwl because i'm like we have to pay the freight on these people usually to fly them in or whatever i need to at least have people knowing that they're going to be there you know <laughs> or at least use them for something because uh, or use them as much as you can and like i just thought if you're paying punk all this money and i know there's issues and maybe he's just trying to assuage the other evps that didn't like him but I just think they could have done themselves a better deal if they would have built up him as a heel uh, or something, you know, if they want to paint him as the heel in that fight or, uh, or the baby face, whichever way you go with it, but just have him have a segment, have him do, you know, an update from CM Punk this week, anything to keep him relevant on the show. And I don't know why this is such a hard deal. I mean, I, I, I can't sit here and tell you what you should have done for a year straight. However, it feels like just an, an, an a, every once in a while peek in would have been better than nothing and then bringing him back and then everyone wondering what's going to happen and then nothing getting paid off because the only thing really happening between him and the EVPs are just back and forth sort of, you know, veiled uh, shots that no one really understands fully what they mean half the time. So I'm like, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's from all the people that watch Collision that are wrestling fans, wrestling, not just aew fans uh they think the show is good for the most part usually based on the in-ring action and the wrestling that they like now is it going to get a huge rating on saturday nights probably not probably not ever i mean here's what here's one of the things that bothers me right everyone was like i read this article recently because i love i love the cannon fodder right the stuff that comes out and it's like well cm punk's trying really hard to men bridges especially after his comeback promo where it kind of rubbed people the wrong way and i'm like dude the elite openly mocked him on pay-per-view like openly made fun of him falling ankle arms all that kind of stuff and no one's there's crickets out there there's crickets nobody says oh man the elite went too far when they mock cm punk in his injury but because he made some veiled reference at them during his opening promo it's like he's got a lot to make up for and it's it's just so silly the the back and forth and we've talked about cm punk and this whole thing ad nauseum i just think it's really funny but to place the blame at his feet that the ratings aren't what they need to be like you said ratings have been subjective for almost 10 years when Internet, the internet took over everything and now it's on demand watching. And I don't know why people don't talk about that more. So what if a, a not people aren't gathered around their television sets like they were again, 10 years ago. So you can't compare apples to apples in this situation. As far as ratings go, like in this article, they're saying that SmackDown drew almost 3 million viewers. Now that's a really good number for WWE. However, sure. different, different time zone. Or, or time slot Friday nights, different everything. And I think they're comparing it to the slog of the show. That is rampage. Why do they have rampage on? Nobody knows what a dog. I mean, really a dog crap show. It's like a, they tape it after dynamite. The crowd is minimal. It's a throwaway. Don't know why they have it on. Maybe they need to fulfill some programming engagement or whatever, but I think for a wrestling fan to have it on Saturday nights, I think there's only so high they they can go. They, I think they peaked at their debut episode. No matter how good the show actually is, you're only going to draw a certain number, especially during the summer on a Saturday night. Yeah, I agree. I think that's um, <laughs> WWE though is trending. 
a little north, you know, as far yeah, as absolutely. Rating. So I guess I can't, I can't absolutely. necessarily say that these are going to continue to trend down as years go on and on. I don't know where the streaming slash TV declining of ratings where you can actually sort of compare them to other eras will stop. You know, I don't know. Cause now, you know, the streaming and, and internet and social media videos and stuff have sort of killed off a lot of, uh, you know, I, I gotta admit, like, I don't watch a lot of these shows in their entirety. I just watch clips online. Cause I just get fed them easily by whatever company right. is putting them out there. And I see it and I'm like, okay, well that's cool. And you know, every once in a while I want to go watch this sort of build up to it, but usually it's just, that's how we sort of digest information now. So, um, you know, that's outside of like a podcast like this, where like, I usually put this on when I'm driving or when I'm doing work or mowing or something like that. And it's just easy to have it on like this, uh, where I can, I don't need to see the visual side of it. Like I don't really watch a lot of stuff like in its entirety all the time. So, um, I, that is difficult with that, but I, you know, CM Punk is just, uh, it, this is a weird time to compare anything because of the fact that you can sit here and make the argument that wrestling is the most financially, uh, I mean, healthy as it's been for WWE, maybe ever. And that's because they're making more money in weird ways. They don't make money. You know, it's like, I say this even about, uh, when I talk to Strider about central States, you know, it's like Met, uh, Metro pro and even NWL to a large degree was, was, uh, you were making money off ticket sales, you know, right. well, you weren't making money off. Right. And now like, uh, man, half these indies now don't have ticket sales. Really. They go off either title sponsors, sponsors, or, uh, or people that just want to pay for a hey, sponsored, you know, Marty bell sponsored by blank, you know, or whatever. And, and like, so I'm like, man, the promoter has a pretty cool gig nowadays. Cause they get these people to pay for their, their match people. And they don't have to actually pay for the matches. It's incredible. I wish I was around like 20 years ago, but, uh, you know, I just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird time. So WWE is making more money than they ever have. Not because of great ratings, not because they're hitting six, seven, eight, nines like they were 20 years ago. It's because uh, people want content. They have stars. CM Punk provides them a star. They have a star on their show now that is internationally known, whether you know him for UFC or WWF or whatever. Now AEW, he is uh, a commodity that they don't have a lot of. They, you know, w w like or hate Chris Jericho. He's a star. Uh, CM Punk is a star. Uh, and, and I, who'd you say? Sting. Oh, Sting. Sting is another one. So those are those are three stars. The other people that, you know, AEW fans consider stars are not, in my opinion, true stars like mainstream wise or what everyone would know. So uh, as many uh, CM Punk stings and Jericho's you can get uh, and use them properly. Uh, I think that that only helps AEW. So I think this is uh, I think Punk will lead to like good, good, you know, live events, good uh premium live events, pay-per-views, whatever they call them, AEW now. But, um, you know, I think, uh, I still think they, they missed the boat on, you know, as we discussed multiple times, the, the most interesting story in wrestling was the one behind closed doors. But I argued like, what's the dream match coming out of that supposed fight? Is it a singles match with punk and, and, uh, and either Omega, I guess, I mean, it's not going to yeah. be punk and ace versus the bucks. So I don't know what, uh, there's not really a dream match out of that. At least when Sean and Brett were fighting, there was a match there, but right. Knows. Right. Exactly. Um, maybe, uh, maybe Omega will take another tiger driver 91, which was a, a much debated topic over the last week, but I, I don't even want to get into that because I, I don't know. I just, there's only so much capacity I have for, talking about AEW. 
Um, one thing that I did read that was kind of interesting when you were talking, I always think about who the next jump is, who then, because you don't really think about guys from AEW going to uh, WWE, right? Because there has been talk that the Bucks are fed up and they're going to go to WWE and fo- follow Cody's lead and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. Um, but one thing I did hear is that Bray Wyatt. Now, Bray Wyatt's had a lot of start and stops this last couple of years, injuries, being not booked, all this other stuff. Is Bray Wyatt, could Bray Wyatt be a needle mover for another company? No. I agree. I totally agree. And I why, saw, why do like, you think? It, it, it was 10 years ago, just a few days ago, it was 10 years ago when the Bray, when the Wyatt family debuted. I believe that's what it was. Oh, really? They de- yeah, it was the day. It was the promo that Bray sitting backstage, sort of rocking, had his lantern, and I think that was the. I think it was ten years ago, just within the last couple of weeks, that that debuted, and that was cool, man. He had like a cool entrance, you know. It just, I thought the beginning of that was very cool. Then it really had thank no you, Waylon Mercy. Had no, yeah, it was Waylon Mercy was way ahead of his time. He really was. Thank you, uh, thank you. Of, yes. <laughs> But uh, but Bray Wyatt, you know, but look, it's sort of like um, I mean, I listen to Kevin Nash's podcast and like he's getting a lot of flack for calling L.A. Night a stone cold and rock ripoff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The only thing I can say about that in defense of L.A. Night is that everyone's a ripoff of somebody. OK, I mean, like so. I mean, it's not really a necessarily a horrible thing to rip off the two greatest guys. And at this point, I mean, that was like 25, 30 years ago at this point. Right. So it's right. not like it happened a couple years ago. It happened three decades ago. So if the guy wants to do a few little pieces of flair that act like uh rock or stone cold, I don't necessarily think it's like too soon, you know, but uh, you know, and so man, I don't know. I uh, Bray Wyatt had a, a cool gimmick and he did rip off Wayland mercy to, to a, to a degree with his character. But again, that was years before 25 years, exactly. before 15. So, so anyway, uh, my point with Bray Wyatt is I just don't really think that he is at this point. Uh, I think, I think the WWE, although they get a lot of flack for not using guys properly. And there are some instances where you can point and say like, they misuse this person horribly, but for the most part, they're pretty right. So when they let people go, and you're like, how could they let this person go? You're like, usually you find out, oh, that's why. And like, I think Bray Wyatt has been uh, to a large degree sort of, um, I don't know, like uh, helped by WWE to show his uh, weak, you know, his strengths and not his weaknesses. And I think that when he actually gets into a point where he has to, you know, go in the ring and not just be a character. I mean, that's the problem. Everyone wants to be like an undertaker type character, but undertaker was good in the ring as for a six foot 10 guy. He was awesome on top of the character and maybe Bray Wyatt isn't up to speed on that. A lot of people don't think he is. So um, I don't think at this point he should have jumped the first time, but at this point, I don't know if he went to AEW, uh, if you don't think CM Punk is making a difference in collision, I don't think Bray Wyatt's return would for more than one week. Yeah. And I totally, here's the thing. With Bray Wyatt, there's been too many start and stops, whether it's his own hand or every, I mean, everyone was so excited when he came back last year and then they just immediately, it's immediately like top, 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 blah, and then he's like feuding with somebody and then there's a stop and now he's apparently sick for the last four months. I mean, I hope, I truly hope it's nothing bad, but they're saying he is not clear to wrestle because of some illness, which is. I mean, maybe Mercer. True. I mean, I, I don't yeah, know and exactly. Who even knows if that's true? But that's why they're saying, well, once he's back, then 
you know, could have jumped to AEW, you know, again, just, you know, this internet nonsense that kind of, that kind of floats around. But I always think about that. Like who's, who's the guy that could maybe, you know, save quote unquote AEW or put them on an even, even higher level. But all those guys, they want to stay in the WWE because that's where you're making the most money. Yeah. At this point, WWE is the place to go back to. I mean, there was a short amount of time there where Tony Khan was riding high when, when Vince was out and triple H is in and Vince's uh, sexual scandals. And like now they're horrible and that's disarray and blah, blah, blah. But now it's turned back the other way, dude, you gotta give it to Vince. I don't care if you hate him or not. Like he comes back, makes $9 billion off uh, a sale. I mean, it's just, the guy's incredible and and people just continue to just bash him, but uh, whatever ratings are going up. Uh, this storyline's horrible and too long. Ratings continue to go up on the bloodline. So I, I don't know, dude, it's a, it's amazing. I, they, they're going old school. I like the old school philosophy they're going with. And uh, I think if anyone's going to jump, it's going to be AEW to WWE. And people that I think could do really well in WWE are uh, like a Wardlow or a Hobbs. You know, I think those yeah. two could like do yeah. really well in WWE. And I don't think WWE is by far perfect. They, uh, they, I, I think they're sort of lost between trying to be, want to be edgy and, and want to be kid friendly and uh i they're sort of like over they're obviously overly scripted i mean i could sit here and tell you like how like even when i was there on the writing team it was so different than what they have to do now as far as like everything is just so much more corporate than it was even when i was there and um you know i don't like a lot of the stuff they do but i mean they can certainly take someone that has the physical skills and make them look and be better than they are somewhere else so we'll see who jumps yeah, that I you know, everyone was complaining about because you were talking about LA Knight about how I mean he's white hot right now. There's no denying that the crowd is getting behind him. Yeah, I I completely agree with the decision to have Damian Priest win the Money in the Bank. I completely agree with it because not only is Damian Priest really man, have I showed you that picture of Damian Priest when he first started wrestling? Oh, he's gotten in great shape. Sure, he was. He's big. gotten in great shape. I. I Everything him and Rhea Ripley are obviously the next the standouts of of the Judgment Day or whatever those and Dominic to a certain extent to it he's more of a character guy but I mean wrestling wise I think it was the right call I think Damian Priest has a tremendous upside and I don't think it's time to capitalize on LA Knight just yet the fans are there they're behind him but I think if you keep building him, like Triple H said, good things come to those who wait. And I think he's absolutely right when it comes to LA Knight. Now, LA Knight and Damian Priest are both like 40-ish, you know? So they're yeah. both not. But I'm telling you, as I've, I've, I've told you this before, in NWL and Metro Pro, these wrestlers aren't good. And they don't get to their prime levels, in my opinion, until you're like in it, until you're like 35. And like from there, you just keep keep getting incrementally better. And you hope that like from like 35 to 45 at this point with everyone's like advanced training and what people can take for their bodies now to last longer and look better longer. Um, I just think like that's the, that is the decade where people can just clean up, you know, whether it's the right. NWO guys, uh, Hogan, even, uh, you know, Stone Cold, The Rock was an anomaly. There's some people that still can do it younger. You know, Batista came in late. Um, you know, Cena, you could argue like the older he got, the way better he got, you know, it's just, um, I, both those, they have two older guys there. And I thought Adam Pierce, by the way, like I've always said, like, why didn't they sign him to be a a worker in the ring? He was like, at the time when he went there, he was in his thirties, like 35, 36. I was like, this is, but at the, you know, at the time, if you recall, that was too old 
there. Right. So, um, right. but that's when these guys just get great. And uh, I think they're finally to that point to where they're like, we want to use these older guys because they're just seasoned, have more experience in life. They're just better at that point, as opposed to just using the churned out, you know, awesome athletes that come out of the performance center. But, you know, you're asking like 24 year olds act like they're 40 and they, you know, it's just, you can see through their acting really bad. I, I would like, you said something earlier. I would like to meet anybody who thinks the bloodline storyline is bad. Like, how could you think that storyline is bad? How? I think a lot of people have been pissed uh, along the way just because it hasn't been paid off yet. Because why shouldn't we be? Because we're all short attention span now and everything. That's such crap. I, but that's, I'm just, but that's the only, that's the negative I hear about it is like, good Lord. It's like the same thing over and over. When are they going to finally have everyone turn on them and it's all going to be, and then finally uh reigns turns baby face or whatever, you know, what's the outcome here. And I'm like, man, if this isn't like old school and I don't know if this is Vince, I don't know if it's triple H, I don't know whose influence it is, but this is like the longest pull drawn out storyline that they have had in 25 years. And, you know, probably since Austin McMahon, I don't, you know, I mean, this has been going on for a very long time. It's still productive. Now, unfortunately, Roman Reigns has a contract that won't allow him to come to every single show, uh, which, you know, good for him. But, uh, but, uh, and maybe that's what makes it better. You know, maybe it makes it better because he's not there all the time. It's special. I agree. When he comes back. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, they, they're doing everything right right now. WWE is trending is trending up and aw is trending either flatline or a little down you know yeah absolutely um you know one thing i wanted to talk about too is uh speaking of flatlining hey there's a good transition um uh the dark side of the ring so we're halfway i think we're halfway through the season right now obviously dark side of the ring having the name the flatline joke comes from people that have died get it a lot of them are ending death on that show that's for sure but um, so far, we've had quite a few interesting episodes. Uh, Adrian Adonis episode debuted last night, which me and you were talking about before, and we haven't had a chance to see. But the one thing, one of the episodes that even non-wrestling fans that I know have reached out to me about, again, showing the reach of something like WWE, is the Doink the Clown episode. Like, I knew a lot of this stuff about Matt Bourne. I thought Matt Bourne was incredibly talented. I liked him as Big Josh, even. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, man, this is cool. Like, <laughs> you know, he's he jumps off the top rope and sits on people. That's really super cool. It's called the Northern Exposure or something like that, I think, is what his uh, later became the whoopee cushion when he was Doink the Clown. But I love the Doink the Clown character. And I had so many people be like, oh, I didn't know this about Matt Bourne. He was crazy. And I'm like, yeah, everyone knew kind of the deal with Matt Bourne. Uh, you know, a lot of people saw the hacksaw Jim Duggan shoot incident. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, later on in his life, but what, what episodes have you enjoyed? I mean, there's been, you know, we had the Chris and Tammy one. We had the Magnum TA one. We had the junkyard dog one. We had the doink, the clown one. And am I missing one? Graham family? Yeah. And the Graham family. That's right. So what, which episodes have you been like, kind of like, Oh man, that was really good. Or gave you some info you didn't know. So, yeah, when I watch Dark Side of the Ring, the, the best parts to me are, first of all, I watch them all. And if it's a to if it's a topic that I think I know a lot about, you know, like uh, Chris and Tammy, because I think we've all <laughs> anyone that's grown up in our era, we've heard all about this over and over again, whether it's through her book or her shoot interviews or he never said very he said very little about it. But you heard a lot from Cornette or others about this topic. 
um, how she likes to put red lipstick on when Shawn Michaels was with her in her dressing room, stuff like that. But uh, the, uh, the, I think like, so I watch those to see what they reenact or like anything new I can maybe hear about that. I didn't know that I thought I knew everything about, but then there's other ones like the Graham family that I really, you know, I don't, I don't celebrate uh championship wrestling from Florida. I don't understand uh, the entire Graham lineage. So that was probably one of my favorites just from the standpoint of stuff. I didn't know. Uh, I thought the weakest one this year has been Magnum TA uh, maybe because Shut it, your uh, mouth shut maybe your it mouth in a, maybe because it ends in like a positive he doesn't die or commit suicide <laughs> or something so it's very odd but um uh i think like uh I, so i i mean he seems to be a very well-adjusted guy magnum T. Yeah. i've never had yeah. the pleasure of meeting him but he seems like a super cool dude that i mean what a horrific accident of course he's one of those guys that you know gets to live through the 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 eye of what do you been the greatest wrestler ever? We don't know, you know? So it's always interesting to think about what could have been with people like him, but uh, the Chris and Tammy one was pretty much what I, what I thought. Yeah, um, absolutely. I thought the junkyard dog one, uh, I didn't know a ton about his mid South stuff. That was interesting. Um, I, but I did know everything that happened to him. Basically. I, I think you probably were watching ECW when he showed up there, he showed up there once or twice as a, yep. as a, as a surprise, uh, but I remember when I was in this, I, it was either 97 or 98. I think it was 97. My, maybe the first summer I was at WWF and Michael Hayes and I had been, uh, fast friends at that point. Um, I, I, at some point I'll tell you that he, I I've told you, I've teased that he spent the night at my parents' house. It was a wild day, but, um, so I was pretty tied with Michael Hayes and like, he came into the television studio and I was doing some intern menial labor and he's like country because that was my name then big country <laughs> did you did you hear what happened in the junkyard dog and i'm like no and he's like he he passed away he died in a car wreck and he was very emotional about it uh because of course we all know the money that he made with jyd and the yeah. superdome but just in general one of the more historical angles with the the cream to the face yeah <laughs> excuse me but you know he was uh Junkyard Dog was loved by like all those guys, and it was just tragic. As a lot of things that happened in the '80s, he just got addicted to, to drugs, and I took him down. It sucked. Um, but I think the the one that was the most entertaining has to be Doink the Clown. I Matt Bourne, see, and it, they talked about it perfectly. They talked about how Doink the Clown came in that era of WWE programming that was horrible. I mean, like WrestleMania nine was a horrible event in many ways, but I thought it was awesome because it was outdoors at Caesar's palace and it had sort of a gimmick going for it in general. thought that sort of sold the show with Bobby riding backwards on the camel. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. That stuff was fun. It was Jim Ross's first time there. So it was funny that they threw him in a toga, like right out the starting gate. But I, um, I thought it was like, he, I remember he had his match with crush and it was like a, it was a cool, uh, match to watch. Um, throughout the times uh, when he was there and Matt Bourne just did an awesome job uh, portraying the evil clown. Uh, and I came, you know, like talk about a gimmick that like most people would have just not done Failed. well with, you know, Failed. I mean, just, yeah. he, he, yeah. he really did a great, uh, no matter what, how horrible of a person Matt Bourne was, because it sounds like he was pretty horrible. Uh, he did a great job portraying a, an evil clown. He did. And so, uh, if you see on the, the, what I was, the very first shots of that uh, dark side of the ring, 
it says like 2012 and he's putting makeup on and he has this really big hammer, you know, like you'd hit with like a, you know, like a, like the tilt a world, you know, like when you put the, whatever you, when you're at the carnival and you hit it to go up to the top of the, and he had that big hammer. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's when he was going down there at TCW, which was traditional championship wrestling down in Arkansas. And Matt Riviera was the guy promoting TCW and he was bringing in doing the clown all the time. And I, and TCW had aired around, I forget, I would see it online. I think, I don't know if it aired around here, but he had, I had booked Matt Riviera. He was a wrestler and he came up and he, uh, he was a flashy guy, a very Southern dude. And he, uh, would book a lot of names on his shows. He had a pretty big budget. He, in fact, was using that Nelson Swegler, who was the, uh, original like producer before Kevin Dunn for a director producer, whatever his title was, uh, before Kevin Dunn, he was with WWE. He was doing a bunch of like the early shows. And so he brought Nelson in to produce this independent show on a television truck. And it was like the amount of money he was spending on the show was crazy. I mean, I don't know what, if it, how it compared to NWL, but it was, it was very expensive production wise. It definitely was higher in terms of paying people like Nelson Swigler to come in. But I digress. Like he would bring in names and he had Doink the Clown there regularly. And I guess Doink at that point, I guess, according to the dark side, was always in Texas at that point, it sounded like. But um, anyway, I had talked with Matt Bourne several times because I was like, I love the Doink gimmick. And I was like, man, I'd love to bring up to Metro Pro. And I remember he he was sort of salty. He was not an easy person to talk to. I think you could tell that on the show. He wasn't exactly like Duggan. That's like, hey, man, how's it going? He wasn't like that at all. <laughs> right, he was like, right. yeah, like how much you want? I want this. How, how much can you pay me? You know, and stuff like that. And uh, the only time I did this, I gave him a he asked me for a $200 advance. And I sent him like 200 bucks via like uh, Western Union which probably went up his nose the next day. I don't know. I don't know what he did. I don't know what his <laughs> choice was at that time, but uh, I never saw that again. He never made an appearance for me. When I called him later, I was like, Hey man, remember I sent you that extra 200 bucks. So like, I'm going to, I want to bring you in next month. He's like, I, I don't remember that. He'd start pulling that crap, you know? And then, then, then all of a sudden I found out he passed away and I was like, Oh, it's, it's over anyway. But uh, I just, I found him to be uh, super entertaining uh, in his role. And I, I did not watch ECW when he was born again, but I always thought that was such a cool way of using his old gimmick sort of, and his name. And, uh, just, just, I, I just thought he portrayed that awesome. And I guess he just had a lot too many problems off the, off the mat to continue. But, uh, what did you think? Oh man. I, I, okay. First of all, like I said, huge joint, the clown fan. And I was starting to get smart enough to the business that when they replaced him, I was like, just his mannerisms, everything. I was like, that's not, that's not Matt Bourne. That's yeah. not the guy that was portraying Doink the Clown, dude. I so I this will tell you, fans. This will tell you all of our, all of you guys that are in your twenties or thirties listening. To this this will tell you how long ago this is. I used to watch ECW on a UHF channel, um, like it was like literally a seventeen inch black and white TV. My dad had in his bedroom that had UHF channels. So I used to tune to this local channel that would have ECW on. And I remember one of the first times I were yeah, probably, probably the fifth or sixth time I watched ECW. First time I watched it, I was hooked. I was completely, I was like, what is this? I saw Terry Funk pile drive um, Arn Anderson through a fragment of a table that he had set up on the bottom rope. And I was like, that is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And then they, it was all just like a clip show at that time. They never showed full matches on old ECW television. It was like a promotion for their own videos, basically. And I remember seeing Matt Bourne doing the born again thing. And I was like, 
oh my god i was like <laughs> we we have entered another dimension and this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen in my life with the makeup smeared and you know doing the promos and stuff and i was like oh my god but i was a huge doink the clown fan and i thought it was interesting in that episode that first of all dude was making so much money he had a bathtub with gold doinks on it that was pretty it was it was his name it was gold inlay right on his bathtub (laughs) which is like yeah, he was he was making some cash, but obviously he was he was blowing it pretty quickly. There, like the thing about Dark Side of the Ring is like some of their reenactments. I and I understand like just the you have different things. You're not going for a purely historically accurate or like a boring documentary type thing. You're going for entertainment. So like some of their reenactments are like really corny and hokey but also hilarious you know like eyes popping out or the time where he attacked brian blair three times brian blair chewed off half his lips spit it out on the ground but he came after him again later i'm like it's just like the guy that won't die and like uh you know it's like the the bad guy in roadhouse you just can't kill the guy after like four shotgun oh dude uh, yeah but yeah i uh (laughs) that's how he was on that in that show and that but the reenactments are corny as hell oh what is your what is your all-time favorite up to this point dark side of the ring uh show do you have a favorite because i do let me think here. There was, I mean, I, I'm always just such a huge Pillman, like anything Pillman. I think that was one of the most fascinating characters I've ever been a like witness to in my life. Like it was just so cutting edge. So that was a really a uh, big standout for me. The warrior one, of course, dude, the warrior was in, he was an insane person, just an insane. No, and nobody liked him. Find me a person in all those shoot interviews that besides his wife that liked the ultimate warrior. Nobody liked besides him. his second and, wife. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Good, good point. Um, I would say probably I really like the Onita one. I really liked oh, it. That was a good one. That was a good one. I'm going to say the Onita one. I'm going to say the Onita one. Onita one was great for me because I didn't really, uh, I wasn't a student of FMW necessarily. Uh, I had heard from like, we've talked about with magic man and, uh, Pete Madden and these guys about FMW and they love all the hardcore stuff and just gigging every match. So I, I wasn't really into that. Uh, but watching that show, it was very interesting. I, I learned a lot and that's what some of these shows do. They take a topic that, you know, especially like, I didn't know a lot about the collision in Korea, you know, some of that stuff. Oh, that was a good one. Is, those are cool. But my favorite, just because I just cannot get enough of the fact that this guy was not in prison and, and that he lived his life and was just so uh, shameless about it was I, anything on new Jack is my favorite thing to watch because he is just the fact that new Jack was, didn't die in prison had to have been like a lot of people lost money on that because he was just unbelievable. And it's sad that he died because I mean, I, I, Gabe, I think you can understand this, like being an ECW fan. And I'm not saying that I can look past all the crimes he's committed because he's obviously almost (laughs) murdered people in the ring and gotten away with it under the guise of it was part of the action, but (laughs) he's also like so charismatic and funny and like, doesn't give a crap about anything that he's almost likable. It's, it's a weird uh, thing that he has going on for him, but that I was just telling someone the other day, my favorite story was the final story in that, 
where he was down in, I think, Florida or somewhere in the southeast, and he had that match with that dude, and he almost killed him when he, yeah. like, pissed him off. And he, and then the dude, like, let him out of prison both under the guise that he was going to take this match around the country because people would pay lots of money for this. So he bailed him out and, <laughs> uh, and he dropped all the charges, and New Jack's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And he ran home and everyone went back. And I was like, you had him in jail. He was going away for the rest of his life probably, and now he's, like, doing documentaries talking about that's, how happy he was that he almost killed that dude and almost killed Vic Grimes and and almost killed Mass Transit. So that that he's an amazing, interesting person. To you're me. You're, yeah. you're totally right. You're totally right. And and that isn't that the most wrestling story ever. We're gonna take this around the country and we're gonna oh, make God. a bunch of money off of it. And he's like, sure thing, guy. Sure thing. Could you imagine? Uh, can you see his face? Like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll totally do that. Just pay the bills, bondsman, and we will get this done. You know? <laughs> Did you ever try to bring him into Metro? Hell no. Like, I was, what? dude, I was, I thought of, like, for a second, I thought about it, but I'm like, how bad would that be to, like, somehow piss him off and, like, like, I mean, he obviously didn't go by the script all the time, Gabe. I don't know who I would have even put him in the ring with to showcase his quote unquote skills. Oh, I do. And you know the person, too. We're going to say it together at the count of three. One, two, three. Strider. Michael Strider. <laughs> That's right. uh, he could have done it. It could have been Pete Madden. Pete Madden would have, like, sliced himself in half for a new Jack. Uh, Strider would have, probably. Uh, his, 100%. His Strider's 100%. Head and, his, his head and arms and body have shown that he would probably do that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to, after this, I'm going to ask him if he would have, uh, been okay with taking, uh, something from new Jack that he, no, oh, he won. I, I don't even have to, I don't even have to guess. He definitely would have And boy, have you ever talked to Strider about new Jack. Do you think Strider's like, Oh, I love new Jack. No, I, I mean, if it was Terry, Terry Funk could walk in and be like, I want to, I need to saw you. And no, sorry. I need to saw you in half Strider. And he would have been like, no, no good. Terry. Okay. No, no, no problem. But uh, I, uh, I don't if know you're not you drinking, yet. you're out of here, Roadhouse, <laughs> dude. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, Terry Funk's birthday happened recently. Uh, Eighty-one, oh, dude. Uh, yeah, do you want to talk about there. the picture? So skinny. So, I sent it to my my brother and my best friend, who we always talk about wrestling and music and stuff, and they were like, "That's not Terry Funk." And I'm like, "Oh yeah," and they're like, "That's the saddest thing I've ever seen." Like, well, I mean, we're all going to get there, right? I know, so, I, mean, I know, we, I know. Like, I, I was talking to somebody and they said he's going the Harley route, you know, and it's like, he is. He's sort of like how Harley was at the end. Like, Harley, Harley wasn't as thin in the face as Terry, but, uh, but, you know, they're both, you know, like they're still, they're still with it to a degree. They're, they look happy. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I tried to bring in Terry Funk probably in like 2005. 15 16 and even then gabe like really close friends of mine that were friends with him were like yeah i mean it's pretty bad it's getting bad like you know dementia alzheimer's whatever he's uh currently uh sort of being watched for now and mm. uh, i mean it just it's just been going downhill since then i mean that's that's been almost 10 years ago at this point so uh, but I just watched Roadhouse again because I need to watch that every once in a while. And Hell yeah. To see how big he was in that, which I, I was trying to do the math. I think in Roadhouse, Terry Funk was probably somewhere like 42, 43, something like that. And he was still prime Terry Funk, you know, like, and like you said, like, drink or you're out of here. 
uh, uh, he was he was great in those movies, and to see him now is. I, but what can I say? I mean, we all have grandparents, great grandparents. They all get thin and small, and and that's what happens. But they, you know, not everybody can. Like Terry Funk has li- outlived everyone, and he uh, and so is Dory, by the way. And uh, those two have lived a very long time, based on what they have done for a like fifty years, sixty years. I don't know what they're up to now. And Terry Funk, I mean, we were talking about him being the you know, middle-aged and crazy. And that was 30 years ago. So, I mean, this is amazing, man. I, the biggest joy in my, literally in my wrestling life, way before I got into the business or whatever, um, was meeting Terry Funk when I was 15. He, he came to Lancaster, California, my hometown was booked on some indie show, probably 94 ish. And, you know, was doing a meet and greet and I was, beside myself like i wasn't crying or anything but i was absolutely stunned i was like i am standing in front of terry funk and he shook my hand i remember he had these mitts like his hands were gigantic and he shook and it was almost like his fingers came up to my forearm and he was just like what's your name kid and i was like uh 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 gabriel and he's like gabriel that's a biblical name i like it and he's like, how do you want? And it's, I still have that shirt in my drawer right now that I've always wanted to put in a frame and it, I've never worn it. And it's an autographed Terry Funk, Funk You University shirt. And it was unbelievable. I was like, literally like, I just, I couldn't, I was like, oh, I really like, you're like one of my favorite wrestlers. And I was talking to one of my friends about this the other day. You know, we always talk about Mount Rushmore's of the greatest of all time. And Terry Funk gets left off every single time and i wonder why that is because he might be one of the greatest of all time uh he he is one of the greatest of all time as i got older i've appreciated him more and more i mean i think when you get in your 40s like i am now like you're like wow this dude was doing moonsaults yeah. like yeah. older than me now in ecw when it was in its crazy years you know it's like um, you, you respect that more. You get to see like how, uh, I think uh, you get more perspective. Obviously as you get older, you see like what he's been able to do as far as like change himself and transform with the times. Um, you know, obviously way better than his brother has, uh, and his brother's not as, he's not the same kind of guy. So I shouldn't say that about Dory, but like, you know, Terry has just always been, uh, in the forefront of everything. He's obviously been in movies. He's been in a lot of things that made him special. I mean, we were telling some great Terry, Terry funk stories the other day, just between people, just, you know, just the, my, my sick, it may know my horse is sick. I need to go home. (laughs) He did that all the time when he wanted to like powder out of a territory or whatever, (laughs) WWF or something. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> there's a there's a shoot interview out there that my friend and i always love to watch and it's uh lanny poffo and honky tonk and they're telling stories and they're telling stories about when cherry funk left the wwe and they were going through the airport and i think it was honky jimmy hart and terry funk and they were walking and they got to like a t where to the right was like tampa or whatever wherever jimmy was going and the left was <laughs> texas or whatever and he's like jimmy i'm sorry but i just can't wrestle the junkyard dog anymore <laughs> I'm going home. And he went left and they went right. And like, they didn't see him again for years. <laughs> and, you know, like when he went and did his stuff with Funk or Funk and Flair, uh, when he did that stuff, that was some of the greatest stuff. Like, I don't think that's appreciated his time with Flair there when they were fighting over being an old man and all this stuff, you know, in dude, like the late 80s, so early true. 90s. I mean, it's so, so good. True. And like, I, I guess he's sort of, I think what hurts Funk is he just didn't, 
to his credit, he didn't stay anywhere too long. And he also didn't, um, you know, he, he's sort of like Bruiser Brody in a way. He was sort of more of an independent guy than anything. You know, he, mm-hmm. he could have been anywhere at any time. He wasn't ever under the man's control. You know, he, he left when he wanted to, he was one of the few guys I bet that Vince McMahon was always okay with like, just in, you know, he'd walk out, but then he'd bring him back at some point. Like he, he understood it was Terry Funk, whatever, you know, but if someone else did that, he'd probably get furious and never bring him back. But, um, I guess he's sort of like Bruiser Brody, you know, like I'm not saying they're the same guy, but I think Bruiser Brody is one of those dudes that like doesn't get a, he doesn't get a lot, even though some people adore, including Strider and Ace Steel, they adore Bruiser Brody, but he just, he was never in WWE, which a lot of people watched. He was never in WCW, like at the prime, you know, for a long period of time or anything. So he was just his own guy. And so was Terry Funk. And I think that's, that's the only reason, but as you get to know more of a study of the, you know, a study of the, the game and all that stuff, you, you realize that what Funk did in his career was uh, pretty like untouched by anyone really. And in both an entertainment and a wrestling form, you know, absolutely. And again, across multiple con continents. I mean, he made, he cut an album in Japan for God's sakes. You know what I mean? Like this guy is an international superstar legend i told my my brother and my best friend i said when he dies i'm gonna be a mess because i love terry funk like i loved man when he came when he was coming out to desperado in ecw boy there was a couple times where there was a tear hanging out in my eye i was like dude this is the last like outlaw this is like jeff jarrett calls himself the last outlaw terry funk was the last outlaw in my opinion although i do love jeff jarrett He's also no, they don't even put them in the same sentence. Come on. I mean, Jeff no, Jarrett's d- a fine guy, but like Jeff Jarrett's doing even- great work in AEW. I'm not saying they're the same caliber. I'm just saying Jeff Jarrett's doing great work right now. I think like funk is also tough, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. like I there's not I'm not saying anything like every wrestler is tough, but like when you compare him to let's say The Rock. I mean, right. I I will always think Terry Funk is way tougher than The Rock, and maybe one hundred percent. I mean, like Terry Funk has shown, like anyone that can do what Terry Funk has done for so many years in this business and still be sort of like the cowboy and like really show no signs of it, sell nothing really, like to normal people or whatever. I mean, it, you know, like Harley Race was tough too. You know, there's a lot of tough guys, but like when you compare him to when you compare Terry Funk to all the top stars, Flair, Hogan, Rock. I think Stone Cold's tough, but I don't. But I don't think any of them are in the same category as Terry Funk. You know, I just and it's uh, it's a throwback. Every punch, tell me, like, and it's funny because now that I know and I've heard all these shoot interviews, every time he punched somebody, I was like, I, I don't see the magic in that. That looks like he's punching them, and yeah. it turns out he was punching them. You know, <laughs> like, like uh, Mick Foley recounts on his podcast all the time how hard. Terry Funk punches like oh, just man. like he will knock you up in a hurry. Tommy Dreamer, same thing. I've heard Tommy Dreamer tell numerous stories about Funk would just be like, "Sorry about that kid," like and just, <laughs> I mean, pummel him, pummel Tommy Dreamer, and oh, I loved his stuff in ECW with Tommy Dreamer and they're back and forth. Oh, so many good memories of Terry Funk. Speaking of good memories, let's talk about your friend Darren Drozdov. So Darren Drozdov, as we mentioned earlier in the show, he passed away this past week at the age of 54 years old, and he has been out of wrestling in a ring since I believe it was, 
I believe that was 1999, 2000. I, I, you know, I need to go back and look at the exact time when he had the accident, but um, I mean, he was a guy in that era of the attitude era that was coming up through the developmental 99. WWE 99. Okay. That's what I thought. I thought it was on a SmackDown in 99. Then he got hurt later in the year. Um, Correct. When you're at the WWE television studio, you got all the ISO reels and all the master reels and all that ISO reel is like a, is like just one camera of the entire night. And, you know, WWE had so many cameras that you would get these reels that one guy would be tight on it. One guy would be wide, whatever. And, um, and so I actually got to watch the accident, but let's like rewind before that. When I first got up to WWE in 1997, I started interning at the WWE television studio. And like I said earlier, there was a, uh, the studio had, uh, two levels and the bottom level was basically the loading dock, the, you know, the, where the receptionist was offices. If you went back th through some doors, there were the edit bays, there was master control. Uh, there were, uh, the storage area where they had Mantar's helmet and all these other things. <laughs> and then, uh, the, the upper level was uh conference room, more offices. That's where like Kevin Dunn's offices, stuff like that. So anyway, um, the writer's room was in the television studio for a very long time when I was on it as well. But um, when I first started there, I get there and interns, I mean, I look at these interns today and it's so different, like internships now, they get paid, there's no slave labor. No, you can't make them go get your sandwiches, you know, because that's that's beneath them. And that's like, you know, uh, that's. but that's what it was when I got there. It was basically, and they joke about it. They called me big country because I was from Kansas City and um no one there had been really much uh west of like new jersey so they think it's all flyover cow country here which i'm sure you've dealt with in california oh yeah babe. oh yeah but uh so when i got there um i was doing a lot of menial work like and what and i was in the mail room area a lot because i would i would do degaussing of tapes which is when they would give you uh tapes to basically erase so they can reuse them and they would put them under this big magnet machine under this conveyor belt and they would erase three quarter inch tapes or whatever and they'd reuse them over and over stuff that they didn't really need promo reels and stuff like that anyway while i'm doing this right beside me is this wrestling ring out in this big concrete floored you know metal building area where they're receiving deliveries and stuff like that but and there was other stuff stacked up over here but there was a ring and that's where dr tom pritchard was training all these guys all the time whether it's get it he ended up getting vince mcmahon ready he ended up getting you know shane mcmahon ready but it also all the funkin dojos where dory funk would come up with dr tom and they'd have these tryouts with yeah, I mean, anyone from Edge to Christian to Val Venus to Greg Helms to all the WCW guys that came over that were young to, uh, man, like when I was there, I got to meet Sean Stasiak was there a ton, Giant Silva. But my very first year was this guy, uh, Darren Drozdoff. And uh, I had no idea who he was. But then as you got to know a little bit more about him, he was the guy that had uh, he played for the Denver Broncos when he could puke on the football on Monday night football. That was his calling card, which we've all seen on beyond the mat, like how he was supposedly uh, able to puke on command. So Darren was working out in there and Darren was this big jacked, good looking dude had, you know, I mean, he looked, I mean, I say good looking, like he was a uh, good looking in like a, uh, he was a good looking football player guy. He was a big dude. He had his, you know, like longer hair. He'd always sort of wear a do rag. He had a mustache and just always had a smile on his face, dude. He was such a good dude. And uh, he had come from football, you know, and I, I don't re really remember right off if he had been injured or if he just basically had gotten cut and he was trying something else before he got out of 
the athletic realm in his life, but he wanted to, you know, try out. And at that point I was becoming fast friends with Dr. Tom Pritchard, as we've had on the show before Tom Pritchard is one of my favorite guys in wrestling history. Like the guy should have a job now and a major company being a trainer. Cause he's, as he's gotten older, he's just gotten better with psychology and understanding the business. But anyway, at that point he was training anyone that the WWF wanted him to train there. Mark Henry's of the world, stuff like that. But Darren was a guy that was just coming up and basically there all summer while I was there. And I got to know him really well. I'd, I'd, you know, go get him stuff that he wanted, but also I would just watch him train with Dr. Tom and, um, it's funny. I need to bring up these pictures I have. I have pictures of, of Darren, like picking me up when I'm wearing like khakis and a button up shirt. And like, he's like in the ring with me and they're taking candid photos with him and giant Silva as giant Silva was put, uh, putting me over his shoulder and stuff. Uh, giant Silva was part of the oddities. If you don't recall, but anyway, Darren draws off just an awesome dude. And, um, that whole summer we kept in contact. I had his phone number, I would uh, keep in touch with him. Then when I got back there, uh, that's when he started basically ascending into his role in WWF programming. You know, as we recall, he went in and was a new road warrior, a new Legion of Doom member at the time where that was obviously has been crapped on through the years where Hawk fell off the Titan Tron and all this stuff. But they sort of, and then they, he had his time with Prince Albert. So Darren was a tattooed guy and sort of a wild and crazy guy with uh, Matt Bloom who's now running, uh, you know, the NXT program down there, but he was Prince Albert with Darren Drozdoff draws. And, um, you know, it was just one of the moments I remember most is in Kansas city, um, when, uh, I had already seen him, but I had come home for a while, uh, after my internship up there during the summer of 97, he had come down here, um, uh, a couple years and uh, I guess I'm fast forwarding to 99. I keep getting, I'm getting confused what happened, but 99 is when Owen Hart passed away at uh, Kemper arena. And that day I was backstage. I was about to start a full-time job up there. And this was my last uh, event that I was going to be here. And I, they always gave me awesome tickets and I could go backstage because I knew everybody at that point. And I was backstage with Drozdoff because he was there and he was, you know, getting a push then and everything. Owen Hart passed away tragically May 23rd, 99 at Kemper arena here in Kansas city. And that was when I had just, was going to, I was leaving like the next week to go up for a full-time job up at WWF starting uh, with the WWF.com, the new media department headed by Shane McMahon. But at the time uh, it was cool. They'd give me like cool seats to these shows in my hometown. And I'd go backstage and see everybody I knew and draws was there. And at that point he was getting pushed and he was on TV for a while then. And, you know, Vince Russo liked draws a lot. And so did Vince McMahon. So um, it was great to see him. And I was there, talking with him a lot of the night and uh i just remember after owen died um i went backstage after the show and obviously everyone's distraught and i just remember seeing uh darren there just bawling his eyes out and i went up there and we hugged and i hugged dr tom and i just had a really good bond with darren Drozdov. he was such a good dude so then fast forward to when i was working wwe and darren Drozdov was in a match with D'Lo Brown, I don't necessarily remember what the angle was. I don't know if it was like a, you know, a, a tag thing that they had sort of broken into. I don't know if it was a tag or a singles, but it was D'Lo and Draws in the ring during this match on SmackDown. And basically D'Lo was going up in the middle of the match for a powerbomb, a sit-down powerbomb with Draws. And he slipped and Draws dropped right on top of his head. And Draws was a pretty big dude and all that weight down there basically paralyzed him from his neck down. 
um, at the time, you know, I, I remember watching this video so vividly, Gabe, because it was like um, it was on VHS and it was the sort of the wide camera shot of it going down and draws was just sitting there. And it was obviously uh, very serious. I mean, it was known right away that it was very serious. And so when draws went down and everything that followed after that was just horrible, um, you know, in the office, we would hear things about the situation about how, uh, it, it, let me back up one thing. Draws had married the seamstress that worked for WWE. And she is, to my knowledge, her and her sister are still the main seamstresses for WWE. Now, her name was Julie. And she was, uh, everyone loved Julie. And everyone loved Draws. And they got together and got married. And all I was thinking about when he got dropped on his head and got paralyzed was like, their life has obviously changed forever, not just his, but their marriage. I mean, they wanted kids, all this stuff. How's this going to work? And unfortunately, as the years went on, uh, Julie divorced draws and, you know, they, they went their separate ways. I don't think, I don't know how amicable, amicable or unamicable that was, but I mean, I've thought about that situation a lot of times. Like, what would you do in that situation? You know, you're, you're young, you, you want to have children and you're the guy that you loved is like, paralyzed and basically wwe had set him up in this awesome at you know whatever however you can say it in a very cool like wheelchair that he could control um and he had 24 7 uh help you know orderlies that helped him do stuff i mean it got so bad man i remember talking to him about like how they the bed sores that he'd have i mean because he can't move you know it's horrific the whole thing so as we we continued to talk and i was at no go ahead sorry so back up real quick. So you were you, now, did you see the accident afterwards or were you I saw there it, in? The, I saw it afterwards. I saw it on videotape okay. after it happened. How long after it happened? Within a, I mean, days, I mean, a day so, or two. Yeah. Okay. So did you, around that time, did you hear the reaction to uh, like the, the locker room scuttlebutt? Was there any anger or resentment towards D'Lo Brown, oh, or did everyone? Oh God, yes, really. Yeah, there was okay, like, yes, there was a lot that. of. Uh, well, I mean, it was uh, at the time. It was uh, E. D'Lo had a ton of heat from some people. Not everybody. I mean, some people obviously knew it wasn't malicious. You know, some people just thought if it was any anger, it was towards just, I guess, sloppiness more than anything. It obviously wasn't done on purpose, but it was. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things that D'Lo was obvious. He was he was coming down off his like sort of hot period with the nation and like the European champion D'Lo. He was sort of middle of the pack at that point. Remember, he was tagging with like Chaz for a while. He he had a couple like weird tag things going on there, but um, he was sort of going down the card at that point, or he was down the card. So he was not in a position that he was going to get a lot of uh, you know favorable. Um, you know, turn the other cheek type thoughts. So yes, there was a lot of like, there wasn't a lot of uh, accidents at that point in WWE. You know, there weren't, there weren't a lot of things that happened like this. And this wasn't just like someone broke their arm or leg. This was like, you know, I, I don't believe there's been anyone that's necessarily been paralyzed from their neck down ever since then or before that I could remember. I mean, I'm sure it happened before. I don't think, I mean, to your knowledge, does this happen? I mean, I know some people have had stingers. Some people have had, you know, sort of temporary paralyzation for a while, but they've gotten use of something back draws had nothing from the neck down. Is there anybody you can think of? 
Uh, the guy that that took the rocker dropper. Yeah, that was before. That was Chad Austin, but like he, yes, he he. That was yeah, was that he was paralyzed ten... though from the neck down? I don't even know if he was. Uh, I don't know if it was neck down, but it was. He definitely was. He definitely but, had either temporary or for permanent paralyzation of some sort. I mean, that's why he won. And but he that was a, it, that was a whole other mess. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. But I'm going to ask you a question. You've seen the tape, right? Mm-hmm. You saw it. Horrific, right? One of the worst yeah. things you've you man. You saw two horrific incidents back to back within a span of six months. I mean, I know it's horrible. Let's, let's not discount that. But when you're watching the tape. Say, for instance, obviously it's a horrible, horrible accident. When you watch the tape as a wrestling guy, is there a fault to be placed on D'Lo? Not that he did it intentionally, or do you think he did it intentionally? Oh, hell no. He didn't do it intentionally. Again, that's what I'm asking, you know. I, I think the problem is that I think some people, the question was not whether or not he was malicious with it. The question was, right. should he have even attempted it? Why was he doing a powerbomb at that point? Was that the finish? I don't remember if it was the finish or not. I, you know, obviously everything just blanked after that, but I don't, um, I, I just think they knew. I think people were like, he knew he didn't have him up, so why did he try to finish the move? That kind of thought, you Got know. It. He Got sort it. of had, he sort of had draws and like, sort of like the, sort of, you know, when you do a power bomb and you're sort of inverting them where they sort of look like you're giving them a tombstone at that point, but you're not right. in a position to sort of put them down lightly. So he went ahead and went down with it and landed on his head. I mean, I'd have to, I like I said, I I haven't seen this tape for many years, but. um just it a was, I, it was I, and a again, accident, you know, I, I'm just saying, I didn't know if the scuttlebutt around the time is like, Oh, did he do it? Cause you know, wrestle, come on, you know, wrestlers. Like, I don't think he did it intentionally, but I just I was curious if there's anybody like, Oh, I think, I don't know. D'Lo didn't seem too broken up about it. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. I think that was, and that you're bringing me back some memories. I believe there was a little bit of like, they didn't think they didn't necessarily think D'Lo handled it post as well as he could have. I remember some of that. And I think some of that always goes to like, how are you supposed to respond to that? You know, like if you did that to somebody, right. how would you respond? Would you call Absolutely. them and be like, uh, would you, you know, like sometimes people would like, you know, go to their hospital and like, you hear these stories, like he went to the hospital, he went to my house, he would cook me food for the next six months, you know I mean? And then <laughs> right, other people right. are like, uh, like they just, he just, wa- he went home and didn't talk to anybody because maybe he's like freaking to- totally depressed for causing that problem. Right. But, um, D'Lo Brown is a smart dude. He's a college educated guy. He's a good guy. Everyone liked D'Lo. He had no real enemies that I knew of. You he just um wrong bad accident. And I really wondered what was going to happen with D'Lo after that. I've seen D'Lo multiple times since then. And we all know that he's gone on to TNA and doing other things. He's been an agent. He's been other things. Um I never knew if he was really going to recover after that, just because of just the stigma of having to be the guy that caused that, especially in that era. But, you know, draws off very quickly after he got sort of mobilized and like his, his new life, new normal was sort of put in, in uh play. 
he came out and basically said, I totally forgive D'Lo. It was an accident. I love D'Lo. He's my brother. You know, Draws always was like a super Man. happy guy. And as I said, this dude, you want to talk about a guy, Gabe, you know, we talk about like faith or something. You talk about like forgiveness and stuff. Darren Drawsdoff, I've never seen in a bad mood. This guy was always in a great mood. And like, as we've discussed, like, and I said earlier, like if something happens like this to somebody, usually you're like, how many people do you know that can be paralyzed from the neck down and continue to live their life for the next 25 years in a positive manner, at least outwardly without showing any kind of like anger or any kind of contempt for the person that put them in that position or just life or God in general, you know, I mean, that's just pretty rare. I feel. Yeah. So uh, that that's how Darren was. So, um, but what and, ended and, up happening, you know, go ahead. Go uh, I was just going to say, I was reading here that he has, a, you know, you were talking about adjusting to his new uh, post or his new normal, basically post injury. And he actually had a specialized, a customized tank like wheelchair that was designed for him by his college friend and Under Armour founder, Kevin Plank. That's I just thought that was a super cool oh, yeah. like, little factoid about him. I knew that. Yeah. That how cool is that, that, you know, that that's guy? so awesome. I mean, yeah. Uh, he, uh, he ended up having, um, he ended up having a, uh, I mean, besides just his friends in high places like that, Vince and WWE, uh, you know, I, I just heard the rumors. I wasn't involved in any meetings, obviously in any of this stuff, but I always heard, I think Shane even said that he's, he's, we're like covering him for life. And like, you know, Vince gets a lot of flack for a lot of stuff, but Vince always treated draws and draws was always like a super, uh, supportive person of the McMahon family. Uh, I met his parents. Um, we would have draw draws came into the studio multiple times or the uh, offices at the tower, um, in his wheelchair. Uh, and you know, he was always smiling, always cracking jokes. His parents were there, you know, they were still alive at the time. And, uh, you know, it was just I don't know, man. He turned a horrible negative into continuing his life for like now 25 years until he passed away recently. But what ended up happening, the only thing I could really do is I wanted to uh, continue to have his input and continue to have him involved as much as I can. So I was producing this video show for WWF.com that was called Bite This. And uh, also we had Raw and WWF Magazine at the time. And what we did was we basically... Uh, I reached out and I, I forget if I asked Shane, Hey, can I have uh draws be involved in bite this or something video wise on the website, you know, cause I think it'd be cool. He was involved in all this stuff and like he, you know, why wouldn't you want him involved in this? You know, he still wants to do something. I mean, I just felt bad for him. He's going to be, you know, at the very least bored, you know, or at home. So can we do something for him? So um, they agreed to it. So, I just remember the call I made to him and I was like, Hey man, do you want to do this? And he was like, Oh yeah, man, that sounds great. That's cool. And I'm like, well, why don't you come up with a name for it? And we can have you on as like a contributor on bite this every week. Like, uh, at the time, like, it's so funny video programming, streaming at the time, this is 25 years ago. Video streaming so is not so much different now. <laughs> it's like, there's still the same problems, buffering and all those other things. <laughs> right, right, but, right. Uh, but, but at the time it was like, so he called, I called him back the next day and I'm like, Hey, what did you think of a name? And he's like, yeah, I think I want to call it draws his two cents. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I just want to give my thoughts on several topics and going on in wrestling, uh, shooter work either way, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I'd have him come on, bite this. He'd also write, uh, I think he had a column in one of the magazines yes. for a long yes. time too. 
Um, and that was all started via the video production team at uh, WWF.com to get him started re reinstated in the WWE family stuff here uh, as far as him never going to be in the ring again, but let's still use him for something, you know? And um, so, yeah, he did that for a long time. I would call him uh, occasionally, even after I left WWE, uh, just to see how he was doing. And in fact, just not that long ago when we were trying to rack people of like, who could we have on the show that would be interesting? Draws definitely came to mind. So wow. it was sort of out of the blue that uh, he passed away in the last week because I hadn't really thought or talked to him in such a long time, but he was such a, such a great guy. And I just, uh, I know a lot of people don't know a lot about Darren Drozdoff because his career was cut super short due to this horrific injury. But I really think, I don't know what would have happened with draws. I mean, a lot of people remember him wearing the big hat coming out with Prince Albert. Right, I, right. I remember him mostly of, but I, he had, a quality about him that even if he was never going to be a huge star, he was one of those dudes that was always going to be like happy to be there and just loved being around that environment and loved the be, being from the football background and being in wrestling. He loved that camaraderie of the locker room that most people love anyway, but he loved it even more than some. And I just think he would have been there for a really long time. So, um, you know, just sad to see him go, but he was an awesome dude. And I just wanted to spend some time today to tell you about how he really was behind the scenes because you know, like I said, if you only knew him from, you know, the LOD angle or him and Prince Albert, you probably didn't know much about him. So, yeah. I mean, universally across the board, again, I, uh, there was a, uh, a little bit, I forgot if it was on the dark side of the ring or if it was somebody's comment about dark side of the ring with Matt Bourne, where they're like, you have to work really hard to not like Jim Duggan. Uh -huh. It's this, it's the same thing that you've heard about draws. Like he was never without a smile on his face, even post accident. He was always upbeat and people liked being around him. And that I think is going to be more of a lasting legacy than anything he could have accomplished in the ring. You know, you want to leave a legacy that out, out, outside of the professional wrestling business. And I think that's a, that's a pretty fitting Testament to a guy that seemed to be universally loved up and down. So that's yeah, a, that's, yeah. that's a great reflection, Chris. And I really appreciate you sharing some of those stories, you know, in the studio, you get back all the tapes like the night of, and you're watching this happen and we all love draws. And, you know, this was all about, like you said, it was months after Owen Hart had passed away. It was, uh, like I remember just anytime something horrific happens, like before we went on the air today, we were talking about before we started podcasting today, we were talking, I mentioned, um, I was talking with someone earlier about mankind and, uh, the hell in the cell bump with, uh, that was something that I wanted to bring up with Terry Funk. I, that's one of my favorite Terry Funk moments is when he got <laughs> choked slammed shoes. out of his shoes. Like it's so, <laughs> like, it's so great that he went out there and played like, I mean, he was always there for his friends, you know, but, um, he, uh, that you know, I remember standing in master control when Hell and when uh, King of the Ring '98 went down, and like just everyone just crowding around all the monitors and seeing if Mick Foley was alive, and that's what a lot of people were doing with uh, Darren Drozdov. Same thing, you know. To be to be fair, with a lot of injuries happening now, maybe more than they were before. Um, like in a long time, even though they're horrific ones, they don't happen that often. You know, I mean. Uh, ever since Owen Hart, we've never really had a, anything like that. You know, I don't really recall anything necessarily happening, anything near the level of Darren Drozdoff. And like you said, they both happened within six months of each other. Um, 
you know, we do have some crazy bumps, but nothing to the level of mankind going through the cage and off the cage. So, um, yeah, it's just, I, I tell people all the time, man, like for whatever reason, I, I guess it was luck. Uh, I was really fortunate to be at WWE from 97 to 03, where so many incredible There's things so much. were happening. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like more so than the previous 10 years or the pre uh, the latest 25 years, like just a lot of stuff happened in that time, good and bad, but super memorable and super huge stories. And um, yeah, that was Darren draws up was great. I need to send you that picture of me and him in the ring because uh, every time I see that picture, it's like um, obviously sad to, to reflect on Darren draws stuff. And I bet Dr. Tom was sad too. You know, I feel bad. I call Dr. Tom probably, uh, it seems like I call him way too often or I message him where somebody, a mutual friend of ours passes away or somebody I know that Dr. Tom loved to death, whether it was draws, Chris Candido, Brad Armstrong was like his best friend. I mean, every time something horrible happens, I will message him or call him. And it seems like he's always like wiping away tears. And like, it's just, I don't know. It's, I think a Dr. Tom would draws because uh, there probably was no one closer to draws than Dr. Tom uh, because, wow. you know, because of the close training they had. So, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, it, it was just nice to hear so many kind glowing stories about draws. And it, like I said, it's a great way to be remembered, but Chris, before we go to our, we're going to wrap this show up before we go to our final segment this week, I want to remind everybody Go bother Chris at the Peculiar Winery. I'm just kidding. The Peculiar Winery <laughs> is the number one spot for all your wine drinking needs in all of the Kansas City metro. And don't forget, if you want me to buy fireworks next year, go ahead and visit me at binmiller.realestate. And if you're buying or selling in the Kansas City metro, I'd be more than happy to assist you in that. You can go to facebook.com slash at KC. And if you have any questions about the Jackson County tax assessments or anything real estate related, I'd be happy to help you. But Chris, let's get to the final segment. And it's, you don't get to pick again this week. I'm just going to give you NWL. Perry Funk's greatest moments. Oh, no, okay. no, no, no. You're going to be in the hot seat again, but we're going to do word association this time, and it's going to be the NWL edition. Are you ready, Chris? Yes. So one word. What's the deal? How many words? One word, one phrase. Anything that comes to mind when I say these people, okay? I'm I'm going to pull up a little (laughs) list here. So this should be- I'm sure these are handpicked by you. Oh, these are handpicked by me, my friend. All right. Let's start at the top. Travis Bowden. Oh man. Um uh old school. I don't, there's so many so many things to say. I about know I, Mountain, but I, uh, I I could see the wheels turning in your head. That's why I'm laughing. Uh the the be- the best thing about Travis Bowden was he was old school Memphis and like that's where his bread and butter were, and that's how he got into wrestling, and that's what I remember about Travis. And I always think of Travis Bowden because he left behind an autographed uh four horsemen poster at the office. And I will never forget that, that he left that there. And, uh, that was just, that encapsulated his, uh, it's in my house. What? But, uh, he said, you don't even like it. the NWA. I don't care. It's the four it horsemen. All signed. To me. No, you weren't involved in any of that. So don't worry about it. Oh, um, you jerk. All right. Moving on. Old school, old school, uh, Blaine Meeks athletic but uh very long limbs 
<laughs> I was going to say lang- lanky. That was going to be my that's word. That's a good one. Lanky. All right, Dak Draper. Prototype. Nice. Flex Zerba. Entertaining. Uh, Max Edwards. Confused. Okay. Uh, oh, God. I just lost it out of my head. Josh Leo. Uh, <laughs> now, how many people know who Josh Leo is? First I know, all? but that's what makes us good. He was the camera, one of our camera video editors for the NWO. Hypochondriac. Okay. Um, Hoodie Howlett. Great friend. Promos. Is that yours? Promos. promos. Yeah, He's good him. at promos. Very good at promos. He's one of the best. Right? There was a time where I would literally get chills every time he would cut a promo. All right. <laughs> he's very he's very convincing in his promos. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we, what list would be complete without Major Basin? Visionary who um gosh, man, he he uh I owe a lot to Major Basin, man. He he was a um I thought he was a a a very fun, unique business guy. Learned a lot from him, and uh, I I mean, he was just I, I'd say visionary. Jack Foster, kind guy, um, big dude, and uh, sm- like smarter than you would ever think that you know a guy that looks like Bruiser Brody would be. He's like a he's a very smart, great guy. Devin, Thor Terrio. Oh, he's another one. He's another guy that's like underrated as far as, uh, yeah, Devin Thomas, uh, Thor Terrio. He was a great wrestler, uh, very high. You know, he could be a high flyer, but also was like in great shape uh, as far as, uh, you know, on the mat and um, super great designer. You know, uh, I've had him design several things for me just for my he's amazing. businesses. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, uh, he's amazing. Quiet dude, but uh, really smart and good at his job. Hans Ruger. <laughs> oh man, that's one from the past. Um, PEDs. <laughs> nice. Uh, Chad Barstow. Oh, I love Josh. Uh, I like Chad Barstow. Um, I don't know if you ever heard my story about Father Jack Masidal. He was a guy named Jack Zaylor who he he passed away. He was a wrestler and like he was from Denver and everyone loved him and. He was one of Josh's best friends, so I just have a soft spot for Josh. But uh, Chad Barstow was um, uh, looked great in a thong. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That was good. Uh, from, from the uh, from a little bit from the archives as well. Uh, oh my gosh, I, I I had their their face in my head right now, and it, oh Scott Slade. Oh, Scott Slade. He's continues to uh he continues to work oh, yeah. on the indies pretty high up. Yeah. Um I he he was very he was athletic and uh I thought he was very good in the ring as well. Gil Rogers. Uh Gil Rogers was super over in NWL and he is continuing to use the Gil Rogers gimmick. And it continues to be over uh, all across the Midwest. And he can take, like, he knows how to get that gimmick over. And I give him all the credit for it. 
Absolutely. Um, last but not least, I got to dig deep into the archives. I know we all know what you feel about Marty Bell. She's your best friend. Oh, da, 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 oh da, da, she's da. great. Love Marty Bell. Love yeah, we get it. We get it. We get the it. The Mancini brothers, pizza. What else? What else you got? Oh, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Don't make me go there. Um, oh, man. One day we will go there, though. I promise you. Ken Dharma. Mike Seidel, last... human. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ken Dharma, human centipede. I still and that's have it. his DVD. I've, I still and have that's his DVD. It. I need to return. Human that's centipede. it. Yeah. That's how we're going to wrap it up. That's it. We don't, okay. I guess I want to save a, a couple more of these names for the next time that we do this, but that was so much fun. What a great episode of the podcast we had this week. A lot of fun. Just shooting the, shooting the shit, talking about pro wrestling, talking about uh, remembering your friend, Darren draws And we should do more of these episodes, Chris. I really like this format. I like just hanging out and talking wrestling with you. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's it's easier to do these because it's hard for me to get <laughs> lined up with a lot of interviews right away. So we'll be doing more like this. But, you know, yeah. somebody, I, you, we mentioned Tommy Dreamer. I still have to, like, bug him to come on because I think he'd oh. be able to talk about Kansas City. But all this oh. Terry Funk talk and me watching Roadhouse again this week, I, I just need some more Terry Funk stories, and he'd be the guy to give them right now. Oh. Dude, if you could make that happen, bro. I'd love you for Oh, yeah. He, he'll do it. It's, he's great. To me and Tommy are. Oh. I go way back with Tommy Dreamer. He's uh, part uh, of the creative staff with me. So. Uh, love or Stephanie him. fired him. Yeah. I love him. Love Tommy Dreamer. One of my all time favorites. That would be an awesome episode. But thank you all so much for joining us this week on the worst territory in the world. Don't forget to like and subscribe or. Give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasting needs met. Uh, also, leave us a review. That helps us out a lot in the uh, algorithm situation. Uh, don't forget to visit Chris at the Peculiar Winery. Don't forget to hit me up. BenMiller.RealEstate is my website. Or you can go to Ben Miller Realty KC on any of the social media platforms. Um, also, uh, Chris, what is our, our handle for our Facebook page? Uh, it's worse wrestling. It's uh, facebook.com slash worse wrestling. We're also worse re- uh, at worse wrestling on Instagram. And, um, you know, when you search for podcasts, worst territory in the world, uh, getting a lot of still good feedback. I enjoy uh, talking to central States fans about stuff. And also, like we said, we trying to trying to sort of uh, go a little bit further than just your old school stories that we can talk about just more of the newer stuff as well that's been happening in the Midwest. So yeah, keep it coming guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. And the feedback has been amazing, especially, man, I still get people talking about the magic man episode. That might be, <laughs> that might be our all time. Like everyone's like, if you could have Underrated. that guy, that guy and Rip Rogers on for the rest of your lives, you guys would have a hit podcast on your hand. I mean, we're already I, kind of a hit. I would actually, I would like to watch Magic Man have a conversation with Rip Rogers because I oh. think that could either last 10 hours or five seconds. I don't really know which way it would go. Oh, so my God. I'm pretty sure. We know what we should do. We should do a watch along of Magic Man matches with Magic Man. Uh, yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to Magic Man since. We did the interview and magic man is known to go into hiding for many years at a time. Of course. So I'd have Cause to... he did. He disappears. Get it. Uh, he, he does. I'll have to go find him, but I think he'd, uh, I think he'd be up for that if I could actually track him down. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the worst territory in the world. Well, we will join you next week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world for Chris Goff. I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye everybody. 
It's the worst territory in the world. 